and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Jens Nelson. And I'm Lucas Stock. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Please join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So Lucas, how's it going, man? What's uh, what's new in the world of, of Lucas Stock? Not much. Part of that is because we just finished recording last week's episode. <laughs> um, so a little peek behind the curtain, maybe. We're, uh, we have a couple of busy weeks coming up. Thanksgiving's in there. So we're trying to get ahead a little bit so we don't have to worry about yeah. you know time. Yeah. So things are, you know, not nothing new, but things are cruising along. Still, you know, by the time this comes out, I will have just about wrapped up the semester. So I'll be kind of getting ready to transition to a little different you know for the month of december things are going to look real different um with no school gonna be just working a bunch more and just have a totally different kind of schedule and lifestyle but it's a um, podcast time if you know what i mean <laughs> ho, 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 hopefully hopefully that, that'd be nice if we could get like really ahead really ahead in yeah. december yeah. yeah um but yeah so that's kind of me uh what about you yeah same old same old man it's I'll say it again. I've said it before. It is beautiful being able to control our own heat, like to not be freezing when I wake up in the morning to, to just walk out and be comfortable at today. Cause it's a cold, it got really cold here. Like if it was raining, it would be snow. Like if, if it was Ooh. having, um, you know, that sort of weather. So it's a brisk so, windy day. Speaking of cold, windy days, Elaine is in Chicago this weekend. Dude, I'm closer to your wife than you are right now. It's true. Um, so she told me that she was driving around, uh, and you you remember those apartments on Wells? So if you if you're at Jenkins, if you go to Up Wells, like towards um, like Declan's Pub, mm-hmm. like up towards Division, yeah. Remember those those big fancy apartments they built like on the left, yeah, on the left, like on the corner of Division and Wells. Guess what they built in the bottom of those apartments that she told me about today? Whole Foods. No, an Aldi. Oh, interesting. Dang, that yeah. would have been a really close grocery store. That would have been so nice because we drove like 10 minutes to go to Aldi, yeah. but then we could have walked 10 minutes to go to Aldi. <laughs> oh, man. That's pretty cool. Dude, I miss Chicago, yeah. and that's irrelevant to what we're talking about today, but there are days I where I really wish. And speaking of that, when I heard that Elaine, like when she snapped me saying that she was in Chicago, I thought that meant that both of you were. And I was oh, legitimately yeah. about ready to just drive to Chicago because it's not that far. I was like, right. dude, yeah, he's so close. But and, awesome. and she said it was just her. But anyway. And everything shut down too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we couldn't do there. anything anyway. Which, I mean, is probably a good thing for a huge city with yeah. tons of people close to each other. But not the, not the way we'd like to see it. But anyway, today we or No, it is today. Yeah. Sorry. We are doing something um, a little different. We're going to kind of extend the what are you reading segment of our episodes to just kind of do a more fleshed out whole episode on something that we've each been reading um which is you know a little different um and we're not just gonna say what we're reading and then in 10 minutes end the recording and release that um but we're gonna kind of go like a little more in depth than we would typically do instead of just what we're reading we're gonna kind of talk about what's been going on with that reading what what has it been teaching us or making us think about or what stood out to us sort of like kind of give a little fuller picture of um, the things we've been reading on our own time 
you know, and the the reflection that we kind of have on that in a little bit more fuller sense, I guess, is how I think I would describe our our goal for this episode. And maybe you'll want to check out a book we mentioned, or maybe you'll want to check out, you know, some more reading on a topic that we're reading on, even if it's not the same book. I, I don't know. Or maybe you'll just be inspired to, you know, finish that book that you only read the first chapter of. Um, and I'm looking at myself in this <laughs> with all the books I don't finish. But anyway, um, I think without further ado, we can maybe just get started. So what are you reading? All right. I first just want to preface by saying, you know, as, as people, you and I, who, who do love books, we, we love to read. Um, you know, I, I guess I just want to say why I love to read. You know, growing up, it was not something I liked to do. Like when I'd get books for Christmas or my birthday... I was always like, are you kidding me? This is this is what I get, which I know is like the worst attitude to have with a gift. Um, but I just wasn't into reading. It wasn't actually until high school. I was a senior year. Uh, so <laughs> this will tell you how much of a senior um, senioritis I had. I took two study halls. And nice. I also did a peer tutoring class where I, where I tutored a freshman who was in need of some, some tutoring help. Uh, but depending on what was going on with that student's schedule, sometimes... It just became another study hall. So there were days where I would have three study halls in the period of a school day. And um, so like all that to say, I, I got so much of my homework done that I was like, what am I supposed to do with my time? And so I just, I was, <laughs> I was sort of friends with the librarian because she went to our church. And so I went to her one day and I was like, what are some good books? Like I've never really read books before, like other than the ones I had to read. And so she recommended H.G. Um, Wells. And so I started reading Ooh, some like like Time Machine and Invisible Man and War of the Worlds and stuff like that. And I was like, man, this is kind of fun. And then once I became a Christian, uh, my youth pastor had suggested a number of books to me. And uh, I began reading like, I think maybe some really basic theology books like uh, John Piper, Francis Chan, Matt Chandler, um, like just some of the books that they had to offer. And then it wasn't until Moody where they start giving you textbooks. But your textbooks, mm. some of them are actual textbooks, but some of them are like Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer right. or, uh, you know, You Are What You Worship by G.K. Beale. So like these are like books that are theological, Christian living. And so that's where my love for, for reading theology began to grow. And so today, even though I have a mountain of books that I've started and haven't finished, uh, most of my books I've started and haven't finished, I, I'm somebody who's comfortable and okay with that at times because... I'm not reading just to read an entire book. Like I think, I, I, at least for me personally, I can sometimes fall into the habit of like, I'll start a book and then I try to rush through it and finish it just so I can say that I finished it and cross it off as like, oh, there's book number 27 this year. Uh, whereas like I want the books that I read to be transformational. And so that leads me to the book that I'm reading currently. And it's actually a reread. This is the second time this year that I've read this. It's also a book that came out this year. Uh, the book is Gentle and Lowly uh, by, by Dane Ortland. And if you recall back in March and April when the world was spiraling out of control, like so much uncertainty surrounding the coronavirus and the pandemic and what's going to happen, uh, this book came out. This, this book was released and it was, and this sounds really cheesy, but it was like nourishing to my soul during a period of like, I mean, this is also when I had a job I really didn't like. There, we had kind of right. just moved back to Wisconsin. Things were really in flux. And so to read this mm. book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, uh, the, the premise of the book is based on a, a passage where, where Jesus says, describing his heart, he says, I am gentle and lowly in, in heart. My, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
And he, he spends the entire book sort of explaining what that means, that Jesus is gentle and lowly. And it's not to say that Jesus isn't loving, uh, that he isn't just, that he isn't wrathful, that he isn't merciful, because he is all those things. Those are all really important. But when Jesus describes his own heart, and biblically speaking, the heart isn't just the organ that pumps blood, uh, but it's it's the inner person, sometimes called the bowels, which is actually kind of funny because he has a, a, a chapter in here. I'm trying to find the title real quick. Um, he has a chapter called Yearning Bowels. And that... <laughs> It sounds a little weird. It's not to say, you know, to speak of how we speak of bowels, but it speaks of the inner man, like what a person is most at its core. And so Jesus describes himself at his, at his core, you know, most fundamentally as being gentle and lowly of heart, uh, of having an easy burden and an, and an easy yoke. Um, so I'm just going to read a couple quotes that I thought were really helpful. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a long I guess I shouldn't say long. It's like a normal size, 250-page book or whatever. Uh, but some of these quotes are really helpful. Uh, he says, You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to, to come to him. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is gift, not transaction. Um, so that's, mm. that's, that's one really good um, one really good quote. Another one that I have really benefited from is, uh, he says, consider Jesus. In Levitical categories, he is the cleanest person to ever walk the face of the earth. He was the clean one. Whatever horrors cause us to cringe, we who are naturally unclean and fallen would cause Jesus to cringe all the more. We cannot fathom the sheer purity, holiness, cleanness uh, of his mind and his heart. The simplicity, the innocence, the loveliness. And what did he do when he saw the unclean? Was his first impulse when he came across prostitutes and or what was his first impulse when he came across prostitutes and lepers? He was moved toward them. Pity flooded his heart, the longing of true compassion. He spent time with them, he touched them. We can all testify to the humanness of touch. A warm hug does something warm words of greeting alone cannot. But there is something deeper in Christ's touch of compassion. He was reversing the Jewish system. When Jesus, the clean one, touched an unclean sinner, Jesus did not become unclean. The sinner became clean. Um, which I think that's a, you know, when, when you consider the, the Levitical categories where, um, you know, read Leviticus. If, if you touch anything unclean, you instantly become unclean. You have to be put outside of the camp. And so, you know, for the, the Jew living in this day, for Jesus to be the pure, holy, clean one, uh, mm. possibly their thought would be that like, if I, if I touched him, I make him unclean. But in reality, the opposite happened when Jesus would touch a leper, when he would, you know, um, someone who was blind, when he would touch them, uh, they became clean. So I thought that was a, you know, when you translate that into, to, you know, not just the physical healing, but spiritual healing, um, the, the trans transformation that happens with, with regeneration is, is, is pretty profound. Um, Another thing that he says is that Jesus Christ is closer to you today than he was to the sinners and sufferers that he spoke with and touched in his earthly ministry. Through his spirit, Christ's own heart envelops his people with an embrace nearer and tighter than any physical embrace ever could achieve. His actions on earth in a body reflected his heart. That same heart now acts in the same way towards us, for we are now his body. And then... Uh, the last quote I'll share here. Um, uh, so one of the most 
arresting references to Christ's friendship comes just before the lodestar text in our study of Matthew 11. In Matthew 11:19, Jesus quotes his accusers as contemptibly calling him a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That is, a friend of the most despicable kinds of sinners known in that culture. As is often the case in the Gospels, such as when a demon says, I know that you are the Holy One of God, or when Satan himself acknowledges Christ to be the Son of God, it is not his disciples, but his antagonists who most clearly perceive who he is. Though the crowds call him the friend of sinners as an indictment, the label is one of unspeakable comfort for those who are known themselves to be sinners. That Jesus is a friend to sinners is only contemptible to those who feel themselves uh, not to be in that category. Um, but that, that I never had really considered that fact before that when, when, um, demons or Satan or his opponents call him things, they're calling him the things that he actually is, even if they wouldn't like confess that or believe that within their heart, that's who they say he is. And it's like his disciples and his followers are having a hard time understanding who Jesus is. Uh, but as, as, as sinners, we understand that Jesus truly is a friend to us. He, he is his heart is drawn to be uh, compassionate, to be merciful, to be gracious. The reason he is those things is because his, at, at you know, as maybe his, Jesus himself attests, I in saying I am gentle and lowly in heart, um, it means that he's approachable. It means that he's, um, I don't know, a, a, a friend, again, to, to sinners. Um, and there's a lot more that, that can be said about this book. There, it's I don't know. Some some people have sort of said that it's a uh, like a modern day Puritan writing, in the sense that um, back back in the time of the Puritans, a lot of what they did is they would take a text uh, of scripture, so a small verse, and they would expound and teach like all of the implications. Like I think Gat, uh, or Dane Ortland describes it as taking a text and just wringing it dry of of application, um, which maybe has you know positives and negatives to it, but uh, in this book, he he does just that, and as he interacts with Puritans and and other church, um, you know, historians and, and theologians, but he's really trying to get to the point that like Jesus Christ and his heart is most naturally inclined to sinners and to sufferers, and that's good news for us because that is exactly what we are as humans. We are sinners, and by extension, we are also sufferers because of the sin that is in the world. So. Um, it's, it's a, this book is a, a really good and beautiful reminder of, of who Christ is, uh, the way that he loves his people, the way that he loves even the world as, as they are being transformed into his people. And um, yeah, it's one that I think we would all greatly benefit from to, to recognize that, that you know, Christ's heart most naturally is gentle and lowly, that his, his burden is easy and his yoke is light. So that's, that's, I'm rereading that again because it's just, so good i i wanted to read it again mm. that's really good really great I, I mean it's i heard a lot about it back in the you know first half of this year when it when it came out like you reading it also just seeing stuff from other people online and it sounds it's always sounded like something that i knew i had to read but it's just you know the way that my brain works that i usually don't get to the things that i feel like i have to read <laughs> um I kind of wish I had gone first because mine are so much less like devotional and edifying in a way. (laughs) That's fine. Um, Not that they're not spiritual or edifying in, in their own way, but they're a little more, you know, theological. Um, 
as you may or may not be aware, I guess, depending on if you pay, you know, attention to social me on social media, which I don't know why you would, but um, I've mentioned a few times on the podcast as well. I've, I've been thinking a lot recently, you know, recently as in the last, I don't know, maybe two or three or four months or so. I, I'm not quite sure. The last handful of months I've been spending a lot of time reflecting on and thinking theologically on um, Mary, on the Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord, the Theotokos. Um, and, I'll, you know, that reflection and thought has also come with some reading that I've been doing. Um, I've mentioned, I have two books here um, that I wanted to mention. Um, I mentioned one of them in a What Are You Reading segment already uh, a few weeks ago, I think. It's called Mary Through the Centuries by Yaroslav Pelikan. Um, I... I'm still really early in the book and it's due back at the library and the library is closing at the end of the semester. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to get to finish it, but, um, it's, it really is what it says. Um, he, he also, I, I have never seen it or read anything of it, but he has a book called, I think Jesus through the centuries or Christ through the centuries that came out first. And I think he, in the intro kind of describes this as almost like a companion piece to that where he's, he really is just tracing different elements of, you know, theology and Christian writing and reflection on Mary and, and different practices that arose throughout history in a very um, bird's eye view, historical tracing from, you know, beginning to present kind of way. Um, and it's a really, really well, you know, researched and written book. It's, it's, uh, it's really interesting. And, and there's things in here that like, just are totally new to me. Um, like there's a chapter on um, Mary's role in Islam called the heroine of the Quran and the black Madonna. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, of different aspects of Mary and, and how the church has spoken about her. Like there's a chapter called the face that most resembles Christ's. And then the next chapter is the model of faith in the word of God. Um, and it's, it's just a really great book because it's, it's really, like I have, like I said, I haven't finished it, but it's really thorough without being like, you know, a thousand dense pages with you know size two font or whatever. Um, if 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 I had more, you know, time and attention to give to it, I it it would be, I think, a quite enjoyable read, um, uh, just in terms of like length and, and everything. Um, but but so I'll read a couple quotes from here in a, in a little bit. But um, the other book that I read. Um, uh, part of is called Mary Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, um, which has a very striking title. You know, like I think of uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, um, I think is the verse in Hebrews. So um, I, I'm sure that was sort of the point of the title. But what's interesting is, uh, you know, just on that title a little bit. So this is a, a book that is a collection of two um, essays, uh, one by, you know, these are both, um, what is it? Dutch? Netherlands? Yeah, Dutch, right? Um, so I don't, I'm going to mispronounce them, but, uh, Edward Schillebeeks, uh, and Katarina Halkes. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, Edward Schillebeeks' name is spelled S C H. I L L E B 
E E C K X. So I don't know how to pronounce that. I apologize to all of our myriad of, I believe, Dutch speaking uh, fans. Anyway, um, so I read the the Schillebeck article in here or, or essay, and what's interesting is his 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 essay is actually called Mariology Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, not Mary yesterday today and tomorrow so i find that's an interesting little change that the editor did with the title i don't really know what to make of it but um he is from my understanding a somewhat controversial catholic theologian from the 20th century um some of his views i don't think are super traditional roman views um i i I don't know a lot about him um but i do think that he's a little bit of a of a unique voice within Roman Catholic theology. Um, but so what he does is he kind of traces his own, the, the evolution of his own thinking about Mary in his own theological writings and reflections. And he kind of ties that in with the shifts that were going on with the second Vatican council, which happened, you know, right. He, he was like involved in the council, you know, he was in his career already kind of. So he, 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 he goes through a lot of, shifting thoughts um on that basically a, de- a development of mariology historically with you know from before to after the second vatican council as well as his own development of of mary mariology and, and theology on mary but one thing that really struck out to me and, and it's it's a short essay it's you know in in the book it's page 12 to 42 so it, it i read it in just a nice evening like it's not it's not a difficult read, um, but I was struck at how Protestant he sounded at times, just in terms of um, the things that he was saying. Um, and it's really interesting some of the things that he emphasizes. Like something that kind of blew my mind a little bit um, is he talks about how I'm trying to find it. He talks about how um, in the New Testament. You know, it, particularly in in Luke, where we have the nativity story and and um, the Annunciation and everything. Um, so I'm going to read I'll just read a little bit. Um, the New Testament and above all, the Gospel of John says that during his earthly life, Jesus was completely filled with the Holy Spirit and also acted on the basis of this gift of spiritual fullness in his earthly life. Only with Pentecost, so not before Pentecost or after Pentecost, was the Spirit of God. Um, poured out on everybody who was redeemed by Jesus. So what he's saying is, you know, before Pentecost, not everybody was 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 received the Spirit the way that we see in Pentecost and and the rest of church history and in our own lives. Um, but there's an exception to that, he says, which is that Mary receives the Spirit before uh, Jesus is born. Um, so in that sense, she's like the first one to receive the Spirit. It talks about um, the the Spirit uh, overshadowing her, I think some translations are kind of overcoming her or filling her, which is really interesting and ties into something that he says kind of as a, in a conclusion about, um, you know, who Mary is. And so I'm going to, you know, kind of skip to, to his conclusion here. Um, so I'm quoting again. This indicates, so everything he's kind of been saying, um, the foundation of all true veneration of Mary. So so keep in mind, this is a Roman Catholic writing in, I think this came out in like the 80s. Um, I might be wrong about that. Um, so one, Mary is the mother of Jesus. 
Two, she is to be praised above all for her belief, which I think is really interesting and very, you know, in light of the the spirit coming upon her in the incarnation, kind of that that uh, almost Pentecostal uh, uh, connection. Um, three, she she is really already called Mother of God. Um, we've talked about that a little bit on the podcast before. Um, and then four, the market effect of the communication of the d- divine Panuma, the, the spirit. Um, so I think it's just it's really interesting, especially his conclusion of these four foundations for Ven- Mary and veneration. In that case, in my view, in the term mother of all belief, we have the real main and original title for Mary, a title which both offers an opening and sets limits as the foundation for an authentic veneration of Mary. Moreover, we have to work out a Mariology which keeps to biblical criteria. Um, so like I said, he's a Roman Catholic, but he sounds very Protestant in a lot of ways in his commitment to working with biblical categories on Mary and also like, you know, a lot of Protestants don't necessarily think about, you know, titles and terms for Mary, but, you know, we've got the mother of God. That's a good one. We've got co-mediatrix, co-redemptrix, you know, like these things that are a little more sketchy for Protestants, I think. Um, But what this Catholic theologian is saying is that the real main and original title for Mary is the mother of all belief, which I think is just beautiful and then also really opens some doors for i think protestant reflection on mary in a way that is not merely just adopting catholic reflection on mary um and then also maybe even some you know friendly connections with catholics over mary which is usually i think maybe seen as a bit of a dividing spot um and then the other thing i want to read from that pelican book uh mary through the eight through the centuries um it's just the, you know, related to that is is the connection um, of, of Mary as the second Eve. So um, typologically, Mary serves as, a, as an antitype to Eve. Um, and I'm just going to read this, this, uh, this paragraph. So he's, he's, he's just quoted um, Irenaeus in, from Against Heresies, where he's talking about um, Mary and Eve. Um, so then quoting... Uh, from Yaroslav Pelikan, here was not only a parallel between the first Adam as of the earth and the second Adam, Christ, as the Lord from heaven, thus a contrast between the earthly and the heavenly, but a contrast between a calamitous disobedience by someone who was no more than human, Eve, and a saving obedience by someone who was no more than human, who was not from human, but altogether of the earth, Mary, as the second Eve. So, so you've got Adam and Christ being contrasted as someone of the earth and someone of heaven. But then you also have Eve and Mary, two people who are of the earth, being contrasted for their respective disobedience and then obedience. Um, And then finishing up this paragraph, it was absolutely essential to the integrity of the two narratives that both the disobedience of Eve and the obedience of Mary be seen as actions of a free will, not as the consequences of coercion, whether by the devil in the case of Eve or by God in the case of Mary. So you see these very parallel elements of their story and you see the the difference being, um, you know, the, the will of the human being, Eve and Mary, being offered the choice to to accept the word of God or reject it. And Eve chooses to reject it by 
failing to uphold the commandment. And Mary chooses to accept it by submitting to what the angel tells her in the Annunciation, that, that the Lord is going to do what he's going to do through her. And she, she says, you know, let it be done to your servant as you have said or whatever. And I just think that those are some really, I'm not really going to say anything else, but to me, those really stuck out as valuable. Um, and in some senses, you know, devotionally valuable. Um, but also like for me, like I said, I'm approaching this a little more theologically minded um, in my reading. Um, but um, I think that those are really, really valuable um, theological tools in our tool belt, especially as Protestants who are committed to scripture. Um, they're very, it's, it, it's all to me, that's all scriptural. So um, yeah, I don't know. I just, like I said, I've been thinking about Mary a lot in a lot of different ways. And, and these, these, both of these books have really been, um, the, the sections I've read have really been helpful and valuable in that sort of just little, you know, newfound theological hobby horse that I've gotten on of, of um, what it looks like to, to speak of Mary theologically in a way that is biblical and, and Protestant and reformational. Um, Maybe you need yeah. to write a retrieval of Mary for evangelicals or Protestants. Maybe that's, yeah, your, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to like, like my, I would love to like do more thinking and, and even writing in some kind of, you know, Protestant retrieval of Mary or, or just, you know, Protestant, laying out what a Protestant Mariology might look like or what it would require. You know, um, I, you know, one of the things I want to, a couple of things I want to do, one of them is, is go through what the reformers have to say on Mary. Um, And another thing is examine some of the earlier like doctrines, like the perpetual virginity and uh, her bodily assumption into heaven, like those things, which aren't necessarily like, super central but like are kind of open questions i think that might make some people more or less comfortable depending on what tradition you come from um so yeah i definitely want to like pursue this track i've been on of of thinking through mary theologically further um and it would be really cool if that could somehow you know be you know productive in some way for the good of of you know not just my own you know, mental and spiritual enrichment, but also, you know, something I can sort of offer to others, but we'll see. Sweet. Well, it's that time. Do you want to close us in a word of prayer? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to use a couple, two short prayers, um, uh, personal devotional prayers, uh, in the book of common prayer. Um, one is the first one is from John Wesley and it's, uh, it's labeled a covenant prayer in the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. And the second one is, um, it's uh, in the tradition of Francis of Assisi. Um, it's not probably actually written by St. Francis himself, but this one's called For Participation in the Peace of God. And I wanted to put these two together because I think they complement each other very well. Um, so let's pray. I am no longer mine. I'm going to restart. <laughs> Sorry. I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. 
I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine. So be it. In the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is error, truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may seek not so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. Uh, you know, a little different than than normal, but we hope that you uh, found some encouragement and maybe some some new books to, to check out. Uh, so if you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram, uh, both at Doxology Podcast, or you can email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We would love your feedback, questions, episode ideas, anything that you want to say. Maybe you don't like us. Tell us you don't like us, whatever it might be. Sign up for our newsletter. Uh, feel free to check out the uh, the Kickstarter campaign from Parisi- Parisia, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. See you.